you were to say, I have a piece of truth, those are the people that get the most prejudice. We, as believers in Jesus Christ, we have been called worse terrorists than ISIS. Because it's just been really good to, to think about some of these issues and to uh, spend time uh, looking at them and asking questions about them. And we hope that tonight it will be helpful to you uh, as, as we think about um, a lot of these different ways that we interact with the culture around us. And, uh, and so I just want to make you aware of a few things as we... Um, as we start out tonight, uh, first of all, just uh, just so you know, I, I hope you enjoyed the tacos. Um, but uh, there is uh, yes, big taco fans out there. That's what I like to see. Um, there is uh, coffee and tea and hot chocolate back there, so feel free to make use of that. And uh, our schedule is a little bit different. If you've been to GBIs in the past, it's a little bit different tonight because um, we are trying to pack a lot into our evening. In fact, we even have one more session than we normally have on a Sunday night. And we also wanted to have a longer Q&A session so that you can ask uh, a few more questions. Paul, do you mind grabbing that door for me? Uh, thank you very much. Um, so, uh, so in order, uh, we did some different things to accommodate that, but one of them is we have a few sessions back to back. Uh, we'll have a session, and then we will not have a break. We'll go straight to another session. So I hope you are mentally prepared for that because it is going to be uh, is going to be excellent. I hope, um, but uh, perhaps mentally taxing. So um, it will be it will be good though. Um, there are uh, questions that you can ask that will be answered during the Q and A, and we're actually bringing two different ways to ask questions today. You can, as normal, write down a question on one of the slips in the paper in the back and uh, put it in the box. You can also text a question to 43506. It's very fancy. And that will, we actually have those questions beamed straight into my brain. And so I'll just know all of them. It'll be great. But uh, whatever is more convenient. So write that number down maybe on your, uh, on your this. That way, if you think of one, um, you, can, uh, you can send it. Uh, you can send it there. If you, you analog folks out there, there's still the paper in the back. Feel free to make use of that. Um, but uh, we have... Um, some really excellent speakers tonight, and I know your schedule says that I'm doing the intro, but we decided to uh, make it just a little bit better, and uh, Matthew Holbrook is actually going to be doing uh, the intro as well, and he's doing one of the sessions. He is one of our elders and has led our high school group uh, for, uh, along with Dan Martin for many, many years, and so uh, I know he's out there somewhere. There he is. Uh, Matthew, um, I'm going to pray, and then the floor will be yours, so let's pray as we start it off. Uh, Father, thank you so much for this evening. Thank you for Grace Bible Institute and um, the blessing that has been in our lives, the challenge uh, that has been to our uh, brains and to our souls as we wrestle with some of these questions. And we pray that it would be a time that honors Christ and that conforms us to his image. God, we, uh, we love you and we pray all of this in your name. Amen. All right, Matthew, thanks. Well, I'm glad that uh, all of you can be here tonight and uh, brave the, the rain for what it is. Uh, this is an important and relevant discussion. It comes up all over the place in our lives, and uh, I think it's worth 
the time that we take to discuss this here tonight. There is a cultural tsunami that is exponentially gaining strength and sweeping through our country. It's a tidal wave of relative truth, self-determined values, and subjective reality. The highest value, when we take it to its logical conclusion, the highest value sweeping through the land today is the foundational belief that we can all be gods. Now you may say, I don't hear people speak in those terms, but that's ultimately what is the foundation of the highest value that our culture espouses today. Culture tells us that we are, as individuals, the determiners of right and wrong. We are the authority of good and evil. We are the ones who can each individually weigh the scales of what should be and what should not be. It's human reason, human logic, human emotions that are capable of defining morality. There is no higher authority, the culture tells us. The idea that there is an outside authority, that there's something above and beyond our human capacity that, that defines truth, that idea is mocked and scoffed at, ridiculed, and more and more, it's even being hated. America was once a nation where there was a consistent nod to the Bible as a moral authority. But now we're in a, in a downward spiral towards anti-biblical thinking and subjective truth. It used to be that in some parts of the country, in particular in the Bible Belt, that if you wanted to participate in society, if you wanted to, to be able to, to fit in, you had to be a participant in a church. The in into social acceptance was being involved in a church and at least espousing biblical values for social recognition, for social status, um, even ultimately for obtaining jobs and um, for progression in a career. You had to be a part of the Christian culture. The church and the Bible was a regulator of morals and a, a governor of what was right and wrong, and today this is collapsing. The moral regulator in our, in our country is evaporating. But, as Russell Moore has said, the collapse of the Bible Belt is bad for America, but it's good for the church. The collapse of the Bible Belt is bad for America, but it's good for the church. Our country suffers the more that we stray from biblical principles. But the real church is made more distinct in that environment. And distinctiveness is an essential component of the church. It's why Peter in his epistles uses words to describe Christians as strangers and aliens and exiles and refers to Christians as those who are holy and set apart. We are to be distinct. I was in a place in a building a week ago today that called itself a church. I was in Washington DC with my daughter Abby and we went to a place that called itself a church. Um, it was eye-opening, a little bit funny, and mostly heartbreaking. Um, the pastor uh, gave a sermon on Luke 24, which may be one of the most preachable passages in the entire Bible. It's the uh, passage on the, uh, Jesus on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection, and then concludes with Jesus in the upper room with the disciples, this, uh, or in that locked room with the disciples, um, where Thomas was there this time, and, and Jesus is in front of Thomas, and he says to Thomas, 
um, touch and see that it's really me. And there is so much in that passage. It is such a preachable passage. And the pastor of this church spent a full 12 minutes covering all the depth of this passage by saying what the important point is in this passage is that Jesus values touching. And in our human relationships, we need to touch each other more. Touching each other is what encourages relationships. It's what cements our memories to each other. It's what reconciles us when we're not getting along with each other. We need to touch each other more. Let's pray. That, is, that was his message on Luke chapter 24. And then, it wasn't shocking to me that we went straight from that into there, the, the next pastor comes up, and she introduces the concept of, uh, of the bread and the cup, and this is, it says this is how Jesus touches us, is through the bread and the cup, and how that's important with our relationship with Jesus. Then the next pastor comes up, and she wants to celebrate all of the... Um, anniversaries that have occurred in marriages in the past month, and half of the anniversaries celebrated are gay marriages. Um, this is not a church by any biblical definition. This is not a place where God's word is elevated, where there is a submission to the will of God, as Pastor Mike discussed this morning. The more that the culture collapses around us and away from biblical values, the more that the real church becomes visible and readily identifiable. The lines of real and imposter churches will become more clear. It's why in Acts 5, with the story of Ananias and Sapphira, Ananias and Sapphira uh, come to God and they lie to God, and God punishes them by taking their lives. And it says in Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 11, And great fear came over the whole church and over all who heard of these things. At the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico. But none of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem, and all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number. It was apparent that these people were serious about following the Lord, that God was serious about his church, and God used the real church, distinct and clear from the culture, and when that was so clear and visible, the church grew, their numbers multiplied. I think we make a mistake of thinking that America is post-Christian. I think that's a tendency we have. We are reaching what might be considered post-Christian values, but the reality is, at best, we are a pre-Christian nation. So as Christians, we're not looking to reclaim the past where it's just Christian values, but people may, value, may have valued the, the Bible, which was good for the country, but bad for their souls if they weren't making Jesus their Lord. We're not looking to reclaim the past, but we're looking to a future where the gospel is more clear and the message is more distinct. Cultural changes allow for us to reclaim Christian distinctiveness, to reclaim the gospel and reclaim the clarity for the church. But we recognize that we're doing that in an environment that is increasingly hostile to the gospel, increasingly hostile to the real church. And so we embrace this reality of hostility in our relationships, in our evangelism, in our parenting. Make no doubt that there is increasing hostility to the true church and to the true gospel, but with that hostility, there comes opportunity. Jesus said to Peter in Matthew 16, he said, on this rock, I will build my church 
And you may hear that a lot, but what's the very next sentence? And the gates of hell will not prevail against her, right? The gates of hell will not prevail. Hell is sweeping across our country right now. It's driving a value system that elevates human reasoning and logic and intellect over God's word. Hell is on the move in America, but it will not prevail against the church. Cultural forces will not dethrone Jesus. Mark Dever says it this way, don't forget, Jesus wins. We are not slouching toward Gomorrah, but we are marching toward Zion. 2 Timothy 3, Paul says this to Timothy, but realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self, sounds appropriate, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these, for among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women, weighed down with sins, led by various impulses, always learning uh, and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth, men of depraved mind, rejected in regard to the faith. But look at the next sentence, but they will not make further progress, for their folly will be obvious to all, just as Janus's and Jambres's folly was also. The further that our culture strays from the truth, the more that the real truth will shine brightly. Russell Moore, again, uh, makes the point that um, there are opportunities coming to our church, and just to get very specific here, there are opportunities for our church resulting from the sexual revolution in our country today. More and more culture is redefining marriage, redefining gender, redefining male and female distinctiveness. No doubt in our culture there's a revolution that's taking place, but eventually there will be refugees from this revolution. Those who have been seeking fulfillment and peace and joy and their ultimate satisfaction in these redefinitions. And these things we know will not fulfill and there will be those who flee ultimately from those sources, like refugees from this cultural lie. And the question is, where will the church be for them? Will the church be a clear and distinct alternative or are we just going to be a prettier cleaned up version of the rest of the world? As time goes on, this will become more and more a clear battleground for the souls, where, for souls, where we draw the line on, on distinctiveness. Are, are we founded exclusively on what the Bible says or are we going to capitulate to the cultural pressures? If the real American church, the real church within our country doesn't come to a place of dealing with real life issues of tough and practical issues relating, for example, to the LGBTQ people within the church, then an entire mission field is being missed. There's no place in the church for non-sinners. The church is made up of sinners. But the distinctiveness of the church is that we're made up of a specific kind of sinners. We're made up of repentant sinners. 
of forgiven sinners, those who do not love their sin. The real church understands that it's misleading, it's a lie to say that God accepts us just the way that we are. The real church understands that God accepts us despite the way that we are. And there's a massive distinction between that. The real church understands that coming to Christ is not an absence of temptation, but it's a declaration of war against temptation. The real church stands out from the world like a bright light because we declare war on sin and we hold tightly to God's word as the authority in our lives. And as the culture collapses around us, that light gets brighter and brighter. Mike preached on that this morning, Romans 12 too, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. And he made the point that, uh, that this is in the passive voice of implying that, that this being conformed or being transformed is something being done to you, not something you do to yourself. And the reality is, that is being done to you. You're being conformed or transformed all the time. There are pressures on us to conform us or transform us all the time. There are two distinct pressures. Either the world is putting pressure on you to conform to the world, or the Holy Spirit is on you, changing you to look more and more like Jesus. And so, what do we as Christians do? We, we submit ourselves to God through, by having renewed minds that are are submitted to the Holy Spirit, seeking His truth and His word, and submitting to whatever He says. Mindset on truth will result in having our wills subjected to Him as living sacrifices to God. So that's our objective here tonight. How do we live in a way that we cling to Jesus and make a difference in this changing world? How do we combat the lies of the world to embrace God's truth about marriages, about sexuality, about gender, about human life, about abortions? How do we combat the lies of the world about the definition of success, lying and cheating in the workplace, the abundant value of money as the measurement of success, the need for recognition and applause and self-centeredness in everything that we do? How do we combat the lies of the world about ourselves that say that you're a good person, you're capable of determining right and wrong all by yourself. You are the most important person in the world. It's all about you. How do we combat the lies of the world about the greatest of values, that the most important value is love as the world defines love and everything else is under that value? How do we, how do we combat the, the misdefinition of, of love and how do we redefine or reclaim the definition of tolerance and, and uh, combat how the world defines tolerance versus maybe what the Bible might say on the subject? How do we combat the lies of the world about who God is and what God wants? How do we combat the idea that God is, is all of us, that God just wants us to love and God accepts us just as we are with no expectation of any transformation in our lives? How do we combat the lies in the world about how we parent and how we raise our children, children who are exposed to these lies more and more and at greater and greater volume? How do we, how do we engage in the world in, in social issues? How do we vote and engage in politics? How do we protest and march and get involved in, in various um, activities in the world um, in the social and political realm? All of these things come under this, under this umbrella that we are in a culture that is moving more and more anti-biblical, anti-God, that's bad for America, but it's an opportunity for the church. And the church is going to be set apart by our distinctiveness and our subjection to um, what God would want from us. And so that's the point of tonight. The gates of hell, 
will not prevail against the church. But how can we as Grace Church of Orange be used by God to push back against hell? And so we will be, uh, be talking about those things here tonight. So with that, I'm going to turn things over to Dennis, who will start us down that road.